Welcome to the Becoming Well podcast. Join Dr. Deb Gorton and Dr. Mary Hendrickson as they get real in wrestling with the topic of faith and mental health as we seek to understand what Jesus really means when he says, be well. Have you ever wondered when it is time to go to counseling? What types of questions can we ask ourselves to really decide, is this something that could really be helpful for me? How's it going, Mary? I am good. Our pastor used to say, any day above ground is a good day. <laughs> but is it? It's been a, it has been a season. Yeah. Hasn't it? A season, you know, that maybe we could argue is a good time to go to counseling. I like that. Hello, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> On a very special episode of Becoming Well, today we're going to talk about when do you know if you should go to counseling? Mm-hmm. And this is a good topic because what I find is that many of my students um, will ask this question and sometimes I will get the response, well, what if you don't have to go to counseling? What if you don't have any problems? Or oftentimes when we talk about if you should go to counseling, you know, we do that whole thing when we're in church, right? And the pastor is talking about something and we're thinking about our cousin or our uncle that needs to hear this. <laughs> you know, so-and-so really should have been here today. You're right. Knowing God is like, that was for you, boo. So <laughs> the same thing with counseling. And I find that people will be all for counseling if it's for somebody else. But when is it time for you to go to counseling? Yeah. Well, and you bring up a great point, too, because I feel like in the church, um, we really water down what counseling can accomplish mm-hmm. and and what it addresses. And I think as a as a whole, even the profession of counseling, um, you know, we both have our doctors. We've gone to school for a long time. And even though we've mm-hmm. kind of studied different elements and approaches to counseling, mm-hmm. you as a clinical counselor, me as a psychologist, mm-hmm. we still, we spent a lot of time understanding human behavior, how mm-hmm. the brain impacts mm-hmm. the way we think and feel and act and um and so I think, you know, just simply saying, well, if you trust God more, if you read read the Bible more, mm. if you, you know, it's not that big of a deal. We really, we really water down what our profession can accomplish. Yeah. And let me ask, why do you think we as Christians water that down? Why do we put more emphasis on other means of help rather than counseling? Yeah. Oh, I think it's such a layered topic. I mean, I think part of it is, you know, just the the fact that mental health is sort of, it's not, it's not something you can physically see. You know, right. it's one thing if oh, you have a right. broken arm, it's an obvious injury right. that needs a medical doctor, right? So I think there's this part of this element of like this idea of mental unhealth and mental health is sort of nebulous. It's like, where where do we define what falls into the line of illness or all those kind of things. But then I think historically, you know, the field of psychology has been very Mm self-focused. And so I think there's a fear in Christian circles that going to counseling, going to a mental health professional means that you're um, putting more of an emphasis on what you can do for your own mental health and well-being versus leaning into and relying on God. Mm. And, you know, it's interesting. I teach my students, you know, we think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. If you've taken a Psych 101 class, you know Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the highest need being self-actualization, right? But I know in my own life that 
self-actualization doesn't actually get me to the ultimate level of healing, right? Right, because because all of us created in God's image, we have that element of mystery and um, longing yes. for you know that that full redemption and restoration piece that goes so far beyond who we are mm-hmm. as individuals. So, yeah, I don't actually think psychology is all about the self. No, it's not, and I think that kind of brings us into the stigmatization of counseling, right? Which is, I believe, one of the reasons why many people do not go to counseling or they don't know when to go to counseling, right? Because the stigma says, whether it's all about the self and all you're doing is like navel gazing or it's for, you know, quote unquote, crazy people, right? And that, I can't, you know, it's getting better now. Um, I think the Band-Aid kind of is getting ripped off slowly in terms of the benefits for counseling. But there's still this stigma that says, I can, you know, I'm not that bad. I can right? power through. I, I can, can power yeah. through it. So there, and, it, and it, it, it's different from culture to culture in terms of what counseling looks like. Some, it's a shame based type of thing that if you go to counseling, you're airing your dirty laundry or you can't handle your own stuff. And we live in a very individualistic, um, competitive, pull yourself up by your bootstraps society. So to go to counseling is saying what? Yeah, and like a lot of people say, it's saying I'm weak. Right. Yeah. You know, which is hilarious, but newsflash, we all have weaknesses. We all do. <laughs> and you know? I think about, I like to use sports analogies, and I know you resonate with yes. this. Sports is big in your family, but it's sort of like, you know, if you have an athlete who has the risk of a significant injury, let's mm-hmm. not, you know, it hasn't gotten to that point yet. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Tariq Cohen. Did you hear? Yes, sir. Are you, do you like, do you watch football? Um, no, I'm yes. totally sidetracking. But Tariq Cohen, he yeah, he's out. He's and out. yeah, so so let's just but say my that his one. Oh, I'm sorry, yeah, that's ahead. true. That's true. They did. That was a good game too. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but let's say okay, so he has a torn ACL. But let's just right. say he had a strained knee, mm-hmm. and you know he's going into the game. He's 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 obviously one of our top performers, mm-hmm. and and his physical therapist know like we don't want this to get to the place of career-ending or season-ending injury, we're going to have you doing some of these remedial exercises, getting your knee, you know, strengthening, getting the muscles around around it, holding that, that, yeah, Mm -hmm. those ligaments in place and whatnot. And counseling is can be very much the same if we shift that mindset. It's not, you know, oh, you have a catastrophic mental health problem and you now have to admit that Mm -hmm. and, you know, go to help. It's, wow, no, maybe I could utilize some of the support and the structure around counseling to effectively navigate something that is bothering me and impacting my life on a moderate scale so it doesn't get to a severe place. So it sounds like it's more, and I love that, Deb, it's more proactive or oftentimes it's more proactive than reactive yeah right and that's what i think we see where oh no nothing's nothing big is bothering me i don't need to go to counseling that's not the way to think about it we need to do a paradigm shift and say there are some things that could amount to something greater and more problematic later on if i don't address this now yeah yeah so um I'm willing to get a little bit personal today and um, talk. I've been to counseling twice and Mm -hmm. I would say, I love what you just shared because one time was proactive and one time was reactive. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that it could have been any differently because it was after sort of a family crisis, but um, 
you know, it's interesting to look back on those two times and really discerning like what what was going on in my own mind Mm -hmm. that caused me to realize I need to go to counseling. Yeah, what did that look like? And so I'll talk about the reactive one first, Mm -hmm. which I've shared about in my book. And I think we've even talked a little bit, but um, in my family about a little over 10 years ago now, uh, my mom, actually maybe it's more. Anyway, my mom passed away from suicide and it was a very unexpected... obviously crisis situation in our family. And the timing of it was I had just finished my PhD mm. in clinical psychology. Yes, it was 12 years ago now. Yeah. Um, and I and my supervisor at the time, who was phenomenal, you know, sat me down when I, when I came back. Not that I was necessarily coming back to work, but I was traveling and was with my family for a while as we were kind of processing through and going through her, you know, funeral and all that stuff. Mm. So I came back and he said... Um, you need to go to counseling. Mm. Wow. And I was like, no, I think I'm good. You know, a lot of times we navigate death with wanting to just throw ourselves back into our daily routine. Absolutely. Not that there's anything wrong with that per se, but when you are a mental health professional, if your mental health isn't well, mm-hmm. um, you're not effective at the work that you do. And so he just said, you got to go to counseling. Yeah. And I pushed back against it, not because I didn't see the value of counseling, but because I just really wanted to get back into work and mm-hmm. kind of numb out and avoid dealing with yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and his perspective was, you know, again, this idea of I was navigating a lot of thoughts and feelings and and perspectives that were unhealthy mm. you know a lot of the what could I have done differently oh, um, so what you were blaming yourself yeah some a lot of self-blame a lot of trying to figure out like what is what is the meaning yeah. in my life how do I navigate this as a believer I was mm. questioning a lot of things mm-hmm. um, I am the oldest in my family so I felt the pressure to take on a lot of other responsibility mm-hmm. and he could just see how that was affecting a lot of my day-to-day interactions right Um, And so I was preoccupied by these thoughts. I was taking on a lot of responsibility and it was just really unhealthy behaviors. And, you know, I think one of the things for me that is so beneficial in counseling and I I've experienced this, I've, you know, my clients and I talk about this. I've talked about this with my students, but it's not to say that I didn't have in that season some amazing support systems in place. I mean, I had a great supervisor, so he was, you know, kind of managing my work with clients. I had friends who were caring for me and yeah. coming around side. Um, my family were very, very close, so we were supporting one another in that time. But the difference is with a counselor and all those other individuals is they have a different level of perspective. Right. That none of my friends, my supervisor, the people that had a, another level of intimacy and relationship with me could have. Right. Well, there can't be any objectivity. Yeah. And even though it's a personal crisis or something that, that's happening to you is very personal, it's also personal with the, the others around you. Yeah. Right. And so they're going to comfort you or perceive things based on how they perceive them. Right. They're going to look through their schema or their lens on how to comfort you that where whereas counselors tend they're trained to um, have some type of objectivity and their empathy is based on how um, putting themselves in your shoes, but based on your context, yeah. right? Sometimes we think empathy is just like, if I felt that way, I would then would do this. But therapists, will, on the other hand, say, 
I can empathize with you based on your context, right? So it doesn't become about them and how they respond to you. It is they're responding to you based on your context. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, and, and that, that was the most helpful thing. I mean, I ended mm. up staying in counseling for a couple of years. So mm. I had processed through a lot of the grief, which yeah. never ends. There's no end to the grief process and mm. there's no pattern or rhyme or reason to it, which is something that I learned that was powerful. I mean, you can grieve without going to counseling by mm. all means. I'm not mm. saying that anybody who goes through the grief process has to go to counseling. But what I learned in that process was the grace and the patience to allow myself to grieve mm. however I was grieving in that moment. Yeah. And some days it looked like anger. Sometimes it looked like despair. Sometimes it looked like I was kind of happy. I didn't I didn't feel sad that day. And then I yeah. felt guilty, right? Oh. And my therapist was just incredibly validating um, and challenging for me to give grace to myself in those in that grief process. Yeah. I learned so much from her in that. And then I continued on to start working through, you know, other things in my life. Mm-hmm. Um that I think at the time had I not had this crisis I may not have sought counseling for, mm. but in retrospect now is a marker for me to know, hey, if you're starting to navigate some of these things again, that might be a good time to get into counseling. Yeah. Let me ask you this. When you went through your trauma, because that's traumatic, in your crisis, where were you in your relationship to God? You said that you were questioning with God. Most, a lot of, right? We have Mm -hmm. these existential crises. I I do not want to minimize what you've been through because I cannot say that I've experienced something like that. So when I say most, but when I say a trauma like that, we have this crisis. Like, why would God do that? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And how did counseling help you kind of reconcile how you felt about God? Yeah. You know, again, I think it's this element of... um, Anyway, I was raised in a Christian home, raised, my dad was a pastor for a long time. And I think there's this, at least in my experience, I don't want to generalize, but I would imagine that some listener out there can can resonate with this, but there's sort of this expectation that you don't question anything about God. Right. And if, and if you are, that is a testament to the status of your faith. Right. <clears throat> and what my counselor did was, I feel like, give me permission to question everything. Mm. And there was so much security in that. Yes. I was like, I saw this this resemblance of God in my life through through her. Yes, um, by saying you're safe mm-hmm. to do this. Like God is so much bigger than any of your questions and your fears. Yeah, and so question away. And and I really honestly felt that it was like this inexplainable. I can be angry. I can question. I can you know, not understand, I can say like, I don't, I don't want anything to do with you right now, Mm -hmm. but I had this foundational experience. I can't say it was a thought or a feeling. It was like this foundational faith experience that God wasn't going anywhere. Right. And I really got that, I think, from what my, my counselor modeled for me. And that's, you know, I talk about that with my students because a lot of question, uh, a common question will be, well, if I can't talk about my faith or if we're not going to talk about God or if we are going to talk about God, how how can I, you know, counsel if I can't just tell them, read the scripture, or give them scripture? Again, scripture is... That is our foundation. However, there are so many ways in counseling that we can bring God into it, into counseling without having 
to throw a lot of scripture. And one of the ways that we do that is that we are open to being a vessel. It sounds like what your counselor was like, being a vessel of God's disposition, right? He's comforting. He's understanding. He's transparent. He wants us to be transparent and authentic. And he is a, he's, he's, he's loving and he's un, he has unconditional love saying, listen, whatever you tell me, I'm not going to judge you on that. He is going to, yeah, there's, he, we, he, we have to work through things and there are times where he says, okay, you know, and, and he might get on us because we're trying to cut somebody's ear off, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> Peter, but, no but, ear cutting. no ear cutting, but our counselor, counselors, especially Christian counselors, and, you know, I have an argument for all the different types of counselors. They can't, they're vessels yeah. for us. And how they actually mirror how how God's disposition. You know, my friend said this, um, JC, if she ever listens to this, um, JC Faden. Oh my gosh, JC, I forgot your married last name. That's bad. Um, but she got married and she loves her husband. And JC said, and I was asking her about a relationship when they were dating, and she said, he loves me so much. Like he loves me so much and he brought me closer to God. And what she said was, it was, I will never forget this. If somebody can love me that much, how much more does God love me? Do you know what mm, I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. counselors, I think good counselors that are actually being used as a vessel can stand in that gap yeah, and show the love of Christ without even having to feel like they have to do this kind of um, mechanical, this is what Christians do, yeah. you know? But it's like, not ex, like ex, ex, um, external evangelism in a way. Yes. Right? And all these, like, these, all these robotic exercises that we think we have to do as Christians as yeah. opposed to just sitting and listening, that Christ does very well. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it sounds, so it sounds like that was a way that brought you closer to him because this counselor, it sounds like, actually took on the disposition of Christ and allowed you to say, you know what? I you, God's not going anywhere. If this person can stay here and not judge me, how much more God? Yeah. Can God stay, you know? Oh my gosh, it's so true. Well, and I think about, you know, kind of circling back with with that in mind to what you were sharing earlier in terms of the stigma and what prevents people from going to counseling. Yeah. You know, I think what I love about the field of counseling as a whole is that it takes on a very wellness mindset. It yeah. is very proactive, right? Mm-hmm. And we think about, I think about that time in my life and um, and how my anxiety, my fears, my thoughts, mm-hmm. so much of what was going on in my mind mm-hmm. was impacting everything else. Yes. And, you know, God created us. I mean, there are reasons that the scripture says that God cares for us mentally, physically, emotionally, yes. psychologically, spiritually, like he created us as holistic beings. And mm-hmm. so, I think about when our mental health is at risk, mm-hmm. everything else is too. Absolutely. I mean, there's, there are reasons why stress wreaks havoc mm-hmm. on the body physically. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just to kind of come back at that proactive stance and when to know if you should go to counseling, you know, when we wait until we're in a state of severe mental unhealth, I'm going to make up that word. <laughs> Every other part of us is probably not functioning well either. Absolutely. And that brings us to why or when should you go to counseling, right? Because oftentimes we will 
say that we're okay, we just need rest, or we're okay, I just have like, I'm having stomach aches, I need to get that checked out. But we're not realizing this, it's all interrelated. Yeah. Or we do, my favorite, and I'm being sarcastic, is um, I just need, everybody else just needs to change in the system. Right. And Which I, could be true, but the chances of other people changing. Right. right. <laughs> and that would be the first thing you'll learn in counseling. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that, but that's the thing, right? Individuals will downplay it or they won't look, they'll look at the external things. Like you said, maybe they have an obvious illness or something, but they will just put a bandaid on that or they will address that and not think that it's related to their mental health. Yeah. You know, and that's the problem. You said it very well, where it's like, I wish at some level that we actually can have like walking x-rays to see what's going on in our minds. <laughs> right? So then people maybe will understand the importance of, men- of, of yeah. wellness and going to counseling, because then that'll be as obvious if we have a broken leg or a broken arm. You yeah. know? Yeah. Right. You see how often those neurons are firing, like yes. rejecting messages or self-loathing thoughts. Or, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, you know, so I was doing a little research today where I was, you know, looking at, you know, what are other reasons people go to counseling? And it, some of it is that, right? Um, lack of sleep. Um, their day-to-day activities they don't enjoy anymore. Uh, a, a crisis, right? Because mm-hmm. sometimes it is reactive and sometimes it is proactive. So then I started thinking for myself, right? Why did I go to counseling? What made me first start, first begin counseling? And I remember, um, and I might have said this on a podcast, and this is new to my family if they're listening because I my family does not know. So I um, was in undergrad, at the UW, Seattle, Seahawks. Okay, anyway, um, I'm still high off of our win yesterday. And so I was well, in undergrad at the University of Washington, and I remember we were talking about, and I don't know why this was even relevant. Maybe at some point I'll figure it out. But we were talking about like the Harlem Renaissance, and it was a good topic for me. And I remember I was so excited because we all had to do um, presentations regarding that. And I loved that topic. I couldn't stand the class, but I can't remember what the class, but I loved that topic. And I remember before I had to go, and I was about 22. So you know around 21, 22, that's when you'll start to see a lot of mental illness or it's more evident during that stage and I had what now I know was a panic attack that I never had before I used to be nervous about doing things like I played basketball I did I did you know things in front of people I danced in front of people I did things in class in front of people but I never experienced this type of fear for no reason Hmm. there wasn't a trigger there wasn't like the professor wasn't uh, worrisome to, to me or any of my peers, but I remember having to go out of class. It was that bad. And if you know me, like I, I'm not the girl to run out of class. No, you, you're a power through. You're a power <laughs> right, through. Person. I will sit there, power through. I'm not going to look stupid. I'm not going to look like I don't want to learn and I'm not going to look like the bad student. So mm-hmm. I definitely um, was, it was pretty urgent for me just to go outside and I couldn't breathe. And I started crying because I was fearful that, that I, I didn't know what was going on. Right. So that's a secondary emotion when you feel like you're like anxious about being anxious yeah right and so I remember I ended up going through with it and it was fine it was fine but that was worrisome to me I was trying to figure out what happened but the next week I was just like you know what maybe I didn't feel as prepared Mm. maybe I didn't get enough sleep you know so I started doing all these external things and you know I eventually and I've gone to 
I've, I've moved like six times, y'all, in different states. So I've, I've seen a therapist in each place that we've moved. Um, but the first time I went was when I just started feeling that constant anxiety and that constant cloud where I didn't have any reason. I didn't have an explanation for it. There wasn't like a specific trigger. No, you know, it didn't feel like there was this event. And then I responded to this event. But I will say, Deb, that because the way that I've been conditioned, the events are always minimized. Mm. Right. So even now people will say, Craig will say, you've gone through so much. And I'm like, in my head, I can say, yeah, I have. But then sometimes I'm like, have I? Right. And it's so strange because people will see it. And I'm like, well, what is what is a lot? What is I didn't experience something like when I hear about your experience, I didn't experience that. Right. And so yeah. I feel like, well, I didn't experience that. So that I can't it can't be that bad. Do you know what I mean? Which in and of itself is a problem. Right. Because then now we're talking about I mean, we we're, we we get into race a lot in this podcast. And mm-hmm. so we're not going to go specifically into that today. But like the stigma of the strong black woman. Right. <sighs> So then we even, there's this idea of like, then you're wrestling with this identity piece almost of if I go to counseling, what does that say about my ability to persevere through the day to day? And that's just, that's a false identity that we really hope in our conversations that we're starting to break down in some of our listeners' minds. Because Mm -hmm. the last thing we're saying is counseling equates to weakness. That's the last thing we're saying. Right. In fact, I want to say counseling equates to strength. To strength. It is a revolutionary act to take care of yourself. Like it is an act of rebelliousness, right? It is something that's saying, I am going to change things. Mm -hmm. And it's so much about courage because it's easier, especially in our society. And see, we can go in different cultures and races the way we were were, um, brought up in terms of how to hide it. But it's easier to mask things. For sure. Right. We can we can dive ourselves into work. Like you said, we can um, laugh about it. Right. Joke about it. Black people are so great in that we can crack funnies in the midst of trauma. But there's limitations to that. You said something earlier in terms of you wanting to work and you said there's nothing wrong with that while you're grieving. And I was I wanted to mention that when we talk about grieving or experience a traumatic event and we laugh about it or we want to put ourselves in work or we want to distance ourselves emotionally. The thing about that is that it's not bad in itself at that moment because that is just our body of it's a coping mechanism. And it's actually it's actually a gift from God. Our bodies will just just go into this mode of survival. Yeah. Right. And we were created to work. I mean, he created us to work. That's a survival mode. Absolutely. The problem is, is that if we continue and leave that unaddressed, we're going to bring those issues piled on more issues in a new context where we don't need it. Right. Right. And so that's when they come into relationships. That's when they come into everyday work, things that are unresolved, which were actually fruitful at that moment, but they're not needed in the new context. Right. Yeah. And so that's what I think my issue was where I just like one, like you said, like I am not going to be, you know, going to counseling over something that wasn't that bad. And if I look at and I talk about my whole life and what I've experienced it sounds crazy to people, right? Even my therapist was like, are you sh- sure you didn't go through a lot? And I was like, I don't know. Like, how do you measure it? You know, and he's like, you're here and you've been diagnosed with, you know, major depression disorder, you know? And so that is kind of, you know, just kind of on the surface. It goes deeper than that for me where I just couldn't see myself outside of, I have to 
pull myself up. And it was unconscious. You know, I have to just keep going. What are people going to think? Or, you know, all of that, where every time something would happen, I would stuff it. And I... Ironically, always saw myself as somebody who's who knows myself, right? Who's so self-aware. And so I go to counseling every Wednesday and I'm like, I'm so not self-aware. <laughs> I know. I am it, I've had counselors tell me something that in retrospect I'm like, that was so obvious. Right? And I didn't <laughs> see it at all. Like I remember my counselor one time saying, because <laughs> so I was like, I I love to take care of my family. This is mm-hmm. what I'm telling my counselor. But not because of me, not because of what it makes, how it makes me feel, but because I want to support them in thriving in their own experiences and I want them to avoid pain. Yeah. And she looked at me and she was like, no, you don't want to feel pain if they feel pain. (laughs) And I was like, that's not true. (laughs) Give my money back. So (laughs) true. Right? And it's like so obvious. I was like, it's not about me at all. She's like, it's entirely about you. Yeah. Ouch. It really was. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? And that, I love that you say that because it's that whole thing of even our best intentions, it's still, you know, I I really don't believe anyone's one completely altruistic, right? Where it's still us not wanting to see pain in you, right? (laughs) Which is good, but it's still us. It's still us. But it is. It's one of those things that you're talking to two people who've been in this field for, you know, a good amount of time where we're still unaware of our blind spots yeah you know and we're trained not to be we teach how not to be (laughs) you know how how we can you know uncover our blind spots and so for me how much more is that when we've been indoctrinated to keep it pushing and suppress all of our stuff and how that actually is not going to lay dormant it doesn't stay dormant it goes somewhere yeah, it right? totally does. Well, and I think, I mean, again, let's just go back to how God created us. There's no way we're going to be whole, mm-hmm. completely 100% this side of heaven. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then we are always growing and developing and yeah. we're always going to have blind spots. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what a benefit to have the perspective and the wisdom of a well-trained counselor who can challenge those areas without, you know, the possibility of bias. I mean, you know, counselors are humans too, but but we certainly, um, you know, increase our understanding of ourselves when we're working with a solid counselor who can reflect back to us our decisions, our thoughts, our behaviors, all those kind of things. Yeah, and you said something, and I want to reiterate, it takes courage because Mm -hmm. to see our own junk— I think you said that. You said it. Did I say it too? I think you started too, but okay, I'll take it. You take it. Um, (laughs) To see our own junk and sit in it. That's the courageous part. That's why I say counseling is courageous because it's easy. It's, it's not, it's easy to say, I don't have any issues, right? Because we unconsciously are saying we don't want to face our issues, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But to sit in our stuff and then have to take ownership of a lot of it. Yeah. That's the hard part, right? That's the hardest part. You know, I tell my students all the time. So one way that you have to make sure that it's always about the counselee is that you make sure, even if they're talking about their mama, you're going, you're giving it back to them. Well, how did that affect you? Yep. Because you're not spending 50 minutes talking about your mama, right? That's not a case. She's not here right now. She's not here. You're here paying, right? And so that is courageous to me where you have to, and that is a building of uh, courageousness. It's not like you have to go in and feel that way because it it can be hurtful. There are times where, you know, my counselor will laugh and I will laugh because I'm like, dude, last week I wasn't going to come back to you. Like I was beefing with you. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, and the reason why I was beefing with him is because he told me the truth. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> a good know. counselor. That's a good counselor. And he's and it's not like he said it mean. It's not like he said it in this. Uh, there, There's a way of, you know, confrontation in terms of um, counseling. But in the kind of like the layman's turn of what we think confrontational, he didn't say it in any type of way other than let me just turn that mirror back on yourself and see what you do with that. Yeah. And that was very hurtful. It was hard for me to to let go of the anger that I, you know because it's comforting to be angry at somebody mm-hmm. else oh yeah you know and um it was hard for me to grasp but that that was something that I needed to pay attention to and I remember it had specifically to do with my my dad I had an absentee father I had my stepdad there and that's a whole different story but my my real dad I've never met him and as you know, as a, a black woman, especially the way that we've been indoctrinated to have to uh, pull ourselves up, I never thought that it affected me much because I'm sitting there like I have a doctorate. I did well. My mom did a good job of raising us. My sisters are all um, doing their thing and doing very well. And, you know, we turned out great, you know, and I didn't realize until my pastor said one day he was like, you know, Mary, it's OK for you to be upset that your dad wasn't there. And I didn't mm. think. I was. Yeah. I kind of was like, well, you know, I still do what I, what did I need him for? My mom did a great job, you know? And I remember crying in his office for, it felt like, you know, 25 minutes, but it was probably like five minutes, you know, but just crying over, and I was just angry, just over just being angry, feeling guilty about being angry, feeling like, what, what do I need a dad for? And I didn't have grandparents. And so that's kind of what that role was just like, I didn't have grandparents. I didn't have father figure. I didn't have anybody. And I'm angry about mm-hmm. it. And I never thought I was. Yeah. Never. I'm not that one that's just like, I hate men. Like I didn't, you know, it wasn't like this outward demonstration of the, you know, effect that it had on me, you know, especially being in the black community. We do what we got to do, regardless of what's missing. We make do. And that includes resources that help us grow from people, mm. you know. And for me, he literally turned. He was like, is it you? You are reinforcing, you know, that you you can do all of this by yourself. We're created to be in relationship with one another. And it's OK that you're angry about that. Mm. It's OK. Wow. You know, and yeah. I remember I was just crying. I was just like feeling helpless and hopeless and all that. So, yeah, it's just he, you know, our counselors can absolutely turn it on us. But the courage comes from having to hear it. Yeah. And yeah. Do, you know, and, and sit in it. Not, in nece- not necessarily even do something with it, but just sit in it. Yeah. Okay. So, so let me ask you this, because I think that's, that's so powerful. And I think some people might hear that and they might go, well, if you weren't thinking about it, which we, we know was, isn't true, right? We have unconscious thoughts. Mm -hmm. So it was there, but this might be the response. If you weren't thinking about it, what's the point of bringing it up? And you said it earlier, or maybe I said, I don't know what if I said it. (laughs) We're both just so smart. We just say, we just say things so profound. Um, they still affect us. Yeah. And the, this is the part that's the problem. We don't know how it's affecting us. So guess what? It's going to continue to affect us and other people. Yeah. So I'm going to give you an example. I didn't think it affected me, right? I didn't have man issues and I didn't think not having a dad or uh, my stepdad who, that's another story where we had a complicated relationship. I didn't think it affected me. Like I, you know, I wasn't mad at men. I remember when um, 
Craig and I first got married, there were two incidents, but the first incident was he let me drive his car. And Craig had this nice truck, right? And I'm like, he let me drive his truck. First of all, was love in itself because I got gifts, but driving it. <laughs> I drive all the time, but I wouldn't say, you know, Craig will be my uh, driving instructor because <laughs> I'm blind as a bad job. <laughs> but I remember the way our uh, our driveway was situated, there were a ton of rocks sitting out. And I wasn't used to driving such a big car because I've always had little cars. And I drove in and I... I scratched his car with the rocks, right? Because I pulled in too close. And I remember he wasn't with me and I remember freaking out. I started like panicking. I was like, he's going to kill me. Oh my gosh, he's going to kill me. And I just went into this panic that just, even though some people would be like, oh my goodness, I I messed up someone's car. It seemed like it did not fit the context of what happened, the way that I was responding. And I remember calling Craig and I was so scared and I was shaking. I was like, I... I have to tell you something. And I tried to prepare him. And I was like, I, 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 and it was like a little scratch. I scratched your car because I, you know, and I'm going into this whole explanation. And he was like, babe, it's okay. Like it was an accident. And that was it. But what I realized is that before then, I saw really, really a lot of emotional abuse in my home, mm-hmm. a lot of psychological abuse, abuse in my home, and being called names in my home when you did something wrong. And I didn't even know I took that in because it wasn't direct. It was towards my mom. Yeah. But I responded the way that I thought that my dad or my stepdad was, would respond to me if I did something like that, even though it was an accident. And I didn't know that until I did that with my husband and he responded differently. Yeah, you would internalize that pattern. I internalized it. I was like, <gasps> and I didn't even know, you know, that I had that fear of yeah. messing up. With some a, a male that I love, a man that I love. Yeah. You, you know, know, that's so interesting because you say that and I think about that's actually something that I worked through in my own counseling too, mm-hmm. which is I... I'm adopted mm-hmm. and I have an amazing adoption story. I mean, like my parents you know, were, were, were amazing parents until my mom started battling really significant mental illness. Like we'd, we'd always talked openly about my adoption. Yeah. I always felt so, you know, chosen and yeah. they, they always equated it to kind of a biblical um, parallel. Mm-hmm. And yet, when I started working with my counselor, after we've process, we've processed a lot of the grief stuff, I started getting into my fear of rejection and mm. how so much of what drove my need to problem solve and to fix mm. and to be there for people was this deep seated fear of if I don't earn a position here, oh, they might leave me. You might leave me. Yeah. You won't think I'm worthy of keeping around, yeah. and that was affecting how I pursued relationships, how I interacted with people. So you're right. And I didn't know that. I didn't know. It was super unconscious. Right. But I look back and I was like, well, yeah, that characterized so many patterns. And I still, I still struggle with that. I mean, as we talk about, I can have all the insight and awareness in the world, Mm -hmm. but that's tends to be my default. Some of those things are really deeply ingrained in us. Yeah. Because they've been hidden for so long. You know, we, um, you look at the iceberg idea, yeah. right? And yeah. how deep the unconscious is. Because we can survive just on a conscious level or a subconscious level, but that deep, deep unconsciousness is it's, you know, and, and every, you know, there's an argument of having long-term counseling versus short-term and how effective it is. But we have deep unconsciousness where if we're not careful, it's going to come out some other way, but we have the ability. And that's the beautiful part in a sense when we have to be able to cope yeah. to 
kind of compartmentalize in a sense, or, you know, it's that fight or flight. I can, you know, I'm going to fight, but eventually it comes out, like you said, whether it's through our, and it's usually through our relationships, yep. you know, or it's self-harm or it's somatic, you know, where you start getting stomach aches and headaches because you're leaving stuff in. And I say that a lot, especially with black women, we have a high rate of uh, high blood pressure and all of these different ailments because we're so used to saying, you know what, I don't have time to think about that, but it doesn't go anywhere. No, it just settles into the body. Right. And it actually comes out another way. And so you'll see anger or you'll see sadness or you'll see um, feelings of guilt or all these different um, symptoms come out and it becomes a cycle because then we're like, oh, I didn't sleep enough. Oh, I can't, you know, I don't have time to think about being sad. I have to be joyful for my kids. Right. So, yeah. Which some of those things. So I think, you know, you make some really great points for other ways in which you might discern if you need to go to counseling. I mean, you mentioned that whole relational pattern. Mm -hmm. Are there unhealthy patterns that you're noticing in your relationships that maybe you can pinpoint to a specific trigger? Maybe you can't. Mm -hmm. Are you experiencing physical symptoms without any real medical cause? Headaches, stomach aches, um, you know, difficulty sleeping at night, changes in your appetite, all of those things could be indicators of stress or depression Mm -hmm. or anxiety. Mm -hmm. I always think about, you know, do you notice or do I notice in my own life that I'm consistently bringing up a specific topic with my closest confidants, right? Like, and it's not getting any type of resolution or movement. Mm -hmm. That is another indicator for me. You know, I might benefit from getting myself back into counseling for a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, the, the big ones that we've talked about, the traumas, the crises, mm-hmm. um, the the losses. But, you know, for me, I, I don't know, as we're kind of closing out today, but I don't know how you resonate with this. I always think about, let me go to the flip side. And if I'm even considering the benefit of counseling, what are some of the barriers or what are some of the stop signs that I'm that I'm kind of using as an excuse or an avoidance tactic? Mm. And what have I got to lose? Like, yeah. And it's like, what do you have to lose by going to, to counseling? Right. What's the worst that can ha- happen? You know, hopefully going to counseling, you would get a good counselor that won't exploit that. But that's usually rare. And you have the you have power in that relationship. It's not yeah. like you're going and you're coming in as this huge power differentiation. You know, you're going in where we're working together and we're journeying together. Yeah. So I'm wondering, I'm thinking by that question, the there's stigma to counseling, right? Because a lot of people see counseling as something else. And I will say that media, TV shows, even sitcoms, they make counseling a joke. They do. We're not actually going to dinner or becoming best friends with our clients. That is also frowned upon. Exactly. This is a sacred and safe relationship. It is meant to be confidential. It is meant to be client empowering. I Mm -hmm. love that you say that. There is, I think there, you know, I mean, we've been to counseling. I remember... I probably put a lot of unnecessary power in the hands of my my therapist, mm-hmm. but the reality is they are there to really empower us yes. to own those decisions, own yes. the circumstances, and own the direction of our lives. Let me give you really quick one great example of a good counselor who does not take that power, right? Because sometimes we can get caught up and then we become the idol for them because of our own junk, right? That's why counselors see counselors <laughs> oftentimes. He, he's, he's very, very, very smart. I always tell uh, him and Craig, I think are probably 
they're very bright, right? And he knows how to incorporate from a Christian perspective, from a uh, a historical perspective, from a, an African-American perspective, all of these things he knows how to integrate well, right? So one at one point I said, you know, what do you think? Knowing I know when you say, what do you think? That doesn't work. It's not like, you know, he's going to answer me, right? <laughs> we always do the classic, well, what, what do, do you, you think? think? <laughs> right? <laughs> and one of the things that he said, because I was just so desperate about an answer. And I was just like, I don't have the emotional bandwidth to process this. And as a black male, what, what are your thoughts on this? I don't know if I need a counselor hat right now. Right? And he said, what my fear is by answering is that that you will continue to rely on me for providing that answer. And that takes the power away from you. And you have had a history of deferring to certain people that you felt was smarter than you, Ooh. right? And I was like, uh, so you ain't gonna give me an answer. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so good where he was like, I'm not going to let you give me the power where I know you have that. And so I remember at the same in the same breath, he was like, Mary, I really believe you are a wise and insightful person. We may not have the answer in this 50 minutes, but I want you to think about it. So he handed that power right back over, right? Mm-hmm. And that is, you know, and that's a testament of having a good therapist. So we're not saying just run to anybody, but that is a benefit of that where it's yeah. empowering. Yeah. Yeah. It's so empowering. Oh, oh my gosh, I remember my therapist with many nuggets like that mm-hmm. just kind of causing me to go, oh my gosh. Yeah. Just, it's such, it was like this relieving breath of fresh air yes. um, because of what she empowered me to be able to consider. So, yeah. Um, well, I think it's safe to say we're big fans of counseling. Yes. We highly encourage it. Absolutely. Um, and we hope that if you are listening and kind of questioning whether or not counseling is right for you, maybe this gave you a bit of a push and encouragement in the right direction. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're hoping it's for, like Deb said, it's for um, wellness, right? Yeah. And think wellness. of it that way. It's, it's, it's wellness. It's, it's maintaining wellness so let's do this real quick let's let's give them our web give them the info info (laughs) first of all becoming well podcast at moody.edu please get on there give us your feedback we would love it that's an email that's our email you can email email. thank you we're actually going to try something new yes we want to we want to interact with you yes so we nice. we know a lot about counseling. We've been to counseling. We've mm-hmm. worked with clients, but we really want to be able to tackle the tough topics that you, our listeners, are interested in hearing about. So email Absolutely. us, email. becomingwellpodcast at moody.edu. Yes. Tell us Thank what you, you want to hear us talk about. Yeah. And also, Embracing the Uncomfortable, Dr. Gordon's book. She will never talk about it, so I will. That's true. <laughs> and finally, you can always follow our podcast on all the channels where you can download and listen to your favorite podcasts. We encourage you to follow and subscribe to ours as well as like us and share your favorable five-star positive reviews. Right. Five-star. Five-star. All right. Um, I think we have to sign off so we can go to counseling, right? Yep. Okay. See you later. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>